Hey everyone, welcome back to Facially Conscious with myself, Trina Renee, esthetician, and Rebecca Gadbury, the cosmetic ingredient guru, highly acclaimed educator, and award-winning journalist. She is the cosmetic industry leader. We are gathered here together with you to talk about this crazy world of aesthetics. It's confusing out there in this big, wide world that's why we're here to help explain it to you all subject by subject we will be your go-to girls and from our perspective without giving medical advice we will keep things facially conscious let's get started Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Facially Conscious. Happy New Year. We are Happy in- New Year. Woo, 2023. So exciting. Can't believe I've lived that long. <laughs> Rebecca Gadbury speaking there. <laughs> Rebecca, Trina. how old are you? Just kidding. <laughs> I'm we won't reveal. 70. Can you believe that? What? I'm, yes, I am proud of my age. I am well, proud of my amazing. age. you look amazing. You have no wrinkles, so. Oh, that's... you are. You, you also don't trust anything else she says. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, she is behind the scenes in the cosmetic industry. So she, she has some secrets we don't all know about. Well, one of the secrets we're going to talk about today is how to read an ingredient list and even why it's on the container. So well, that's know- a confusing thing for even me as an esthetician, because I feel like things change or maybe it's just me changing. <laughs> maybe it's your memories changing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> maybe my memory. So we have an awesome guest with us today that is going to explain to us about the ingredient list on your bottles. And Rebecca, would you like to introduce your lovely friend? I would. We have been friends since the late 80s to show you how old we both are. (laughs) And she actually got into the industry in, I think, 1987. Uh, Her name is Dr. Mindy Goldstein, and she holds a bachelor's in biochemistry and master's in pathology and has a Ph.D. in just basic medical sciences. But she specializes in DNA and DNA repair. I would love to ask her during some interview that we do with her this year, because she'll be a returning guest uh, at some other points, um, how she went from pathology into and DNA into the cosmetic industry. But we'll we'll hold that for another time. Uh, she is uh, also a patent holder. She holds patents in uh, raw materials, encapsulations, controlled release ingredients. So those are your time-released ingredients. And she is a consultant in the cosmetic industry. She also, I know her this way, from the Society of Cosmetic Chemists. She's our former president. She was president twice in, uh, at a national level. She has written articles, chapters, and books. I think if we go on and on and on about Mindy, we'll take up the whole time. So if you want to learn more about Mindy and her background, just go to faciallyconscious.com, the about page. Her picture is there so you can see how lovely she is and also her full bio. And I did want to mention, Trina, she's on the nomenclature, the naming committee 
uh, that names ingredients. And we're going to be talking about how ingredients get their names today, as well as what the regulations are that govern that area of real estate on the container, the ingredient list. Mindy also uh, um, consults with raw material companies, ingredient companies, as well as brand names. So she does so much in this industry. Some of the products that are some of the biggest products in the industry would not be here without Mindy. So I am wow. absolutely delighted to talk with you. And I, I am love, now- I love these deep dives because we find out <laughs> like information that nobody even knew existed. <laughs> like it goes, it's so cool. Cause this is yeah. something I'm going to learn today for the first time. I, I'm so excited. I think I'm going to learn some things too, even though I teach this at UCLA. Mindy is incredible. So Mindy, would you like to say hello? Hello, everybody, and uh, I'm very excited Welcome. to be here. Thank you. We are, as you can tell, we're excited to have you here. We just, we've been really looking forward to this part of uh, uh, of the year coming up because this is going to be an incredible year at uh, Facially Conscious. Before we jump into all of this, Mindy, I want to make it something something really clear with our audience because there's so much misinformation out there and. One of the things that we, one of our missions here at Facially Conscious is to correct the myths and the misinformation. So one of the things that I want to clarify is that ingredients are chemicals. Another word for ingredient is chemical. And feel free to say chemical, Mindy, when we're talking rather than just ingredients. People need to understand that you can't have a chemical-free product Everything's a chemical, but light and electricity. And so when we talk about chemicals in products, we're talking about ingredients. When we talk about ingredients, we're talking about chemicals. But I think, I think the, the, the people who are concerned with chemicals and wanting chemical free products, um, (laughs) they, they're more naturalists and they want as natural as they can get and not using synthetic ingredients is what they mean, but they use the word chemical freely right. in but the market. The, the problem is everything's a chemical, including water, right. which of course is right. natural. So you're on a, com- a committee that names these ingredients. Yes. How the do com- you guys come up with that? Okay. So the committee is the International Nomenclature Committee, and it's part of the Personal Care Product Council, which we call PCPC. Which and is our largest industry organization. organization. So um, so is this part of the FDA, Mindy? No, it's not part of the FDA. The Personal Care Product Council, PCPC, is a standalone organization that serves the cosmetic industry. Um, and companies join it both uh, finished goods companies such as Estee Lauder or L'Oreal and uh, many raw material companies that supply the ingredients to these co- to the finished goods companies are members as well. Right. So the, the committee, um, which is called the INC, the International Nomenclature Committee. Nomenclature uh, meaning naming. Naming. Okay. Uh, we meet approximately five times a year for a two-day session. PCPC gets applications from usually raw material companies that want names for new ingredients. 
uh, we have a form that gets filled out depending upon what the compound is and what how it's manufactured. And um, then those applications come to the committee for review. So there are quite a few people on the committee. We're about 20 people on the basic committee. And then we have liaison members. Oh, so what's that? So liaison members are not really part of the committee, but they um, sit in on the committee and they do participate. So we have two people from the FDA. We have one person from Health Canada. We have someone from the Japan Cosmetic Industry Association. We have somebody from the U.S. Adopted Names Council. What's we have, that? Um, that's, I guess, you say they give the uh, U.S. Uh, adopted names, which is usually used in drugs. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, we have someone from the European Commission, and we have somebody from the Cosmetic Ingredient Review, the CIR, um, and a couple of other people as well. And these, the basic members come from both raw material suppliers, finished goods houses, and universities. So um, people are asked to join this committee. It's a different committee than most PCPC committees, um, which are made up of member companies and they can recommend somebody for mm -hmm. a committee. And they, they tend to stay for a short time and then cycle off and somebody else comes on. Our committee typically is long-term. So I've been on this committee for over, I wanna say over 27 years. Wow. Um, yeah. And um, and you meet five times a year, about five times a year, typically wow. in February, either the end of January, beginning of February, in April, in June, in September and November. And we review applications that come in between our meetings for new um, ingredients. Are there that ingredients. many new ingredients? Oh, my God. Well, when the when the um, dictionary was first published in 1973 was the first edition. I think there were about 3,500 names in that dictionary. Yeah, I remember now, that. I remember yeah, that. Yeah. Now we're over 16,000. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, we give a lot of names during Wow. During, uh, yes. And there are over 60 trade names associated with those 16,000 or so inky uh, ink names. So inky stands for ingredient um, for international nomenclature cosmetic ingredient. I-N-C-I. I-N-C-I. And those are the names, those are the actual names of the ingredients. That go so on they the back of the label. Got it. So those are known as the inky names, right? Right. And, okay. Uh, so only the, the FDA mandates that there be a disclosure on the back of every bottle that's sold. So we're talking about retail or anything that's being sold to the consumer. Right. Professional doesn't it's, have to have right. professional use only like the one, the products that you would use in, in the facial room, Trina. Mm -hmm. and they're not being sold to consumers, then you don't have to have the ingredient list on there. A lot of companies are voluntarily putting the ingredient list on. And the FDA has said, you know, we can, you can put them on alphabetically in alphabetical order, 
but um, a lot of companies, if you ask, they'll tell you what it is. Did you have something you wanted to add to that tree? I just was wondering, um, sometimes with me, I'll ask the clients to bring in their products mm-hmm. and um, I'll look on the back of it and it won't have an ingredient list because it was on a box, box. that they threw away. Right. So the, that's legal. The <laughs> yeah, actual so- law is from the Fair Packaging Labeling Act that went into right. effect in 1977. And it's an act of Congress that FDA was charged with regulating. So it, it has to do with the outer package uh, so that consumers, this particular law, so that consumers can see if there's any allergens right. in them. If they so, can recognize any allergens in the product. Right. The problem I have with that is when do you have an allergy after you've started using a product a lot of times and then you've thrown the box away. But these days you can also look online on a lot of companies and the ingredients will be listed there. Or you can can request um, an ingredient disclosure from the company that you bought the product from. They will gladly send you the ingredient deck. If you well, explain- I when if they bring me a product that doesn't have ingredients on the back, I mean we have the internet, so I just look it up and I can always find the ingredient list. It's always on their website under ingredients under that specific product. So if somebody does, you know, throw away their box, you can always find it. Yeah, yeah. Usually, or call the company. Right, call mm-hmm. the company is better because sometimes on the website they don't include the full ingredient deck. Oh, really? I have yeah. seen where they keep, they say only the primary ingredients and they don't really have everything that's on there. So um, that is a good point to know. So if somebody is, point. go ahead. I was just going to say, if somebody is having an allergy to an ingredient um, and they've thrown away their box, it, a better move would to be to call the company okay. and ask them for a full. Yeah. I mean, the whole idea behind the ingredient list was so that the consumer could check the list against what they they know are allergens for themselves. And when we give names, we try to keep the allerg- the, the product, the ingredients that could possibly cause allergy. We try to keep some semblance of a common name with it. So, for instance, um, soy. Uh, which can be an allergen for some people or peanuts or wheat. Um, We try to keep, because by, by nomenclature convention, we have to use the genus and species of the plant, but in parentheses next to it, the common name. So if, if we had the genus and species of the wheat, we put wheat in parentheses, the same thing for peanut um, and other nuts as well, which are uh, common allergens in the population. So we try to make it as friendly as possible. And that was the whole reason behind the ingredient list. Of course, a lot of the chemical names, a consumer would not understand or recognize, but that's what their physician is for. So if they have a reaction, the physician can actually get, um, the information on that one ingredient if necessary if it's See, not any of the common allergens. In, in the spirit of our mission here at Facially Conscious, there's a myth going around that the ingredient list is there to reveal the toxins in the product, which is not true. No. Allergens are not toxins. Right, allergens are not toxins. And now in the US, we, you know, if, if there's a fragrance in the product, we don't have to reveal on a US label 
any of the allergens in the fragrance, but in the EU, you must put those allergens on the in label. Europe. In Europe. In Europe. Right. Right. The right. European Union requires those to be listed as part of the ingredient list. And I think there's what, 26 different- Right now, but the, it's yeah. expanding. It's, it's it? going okay. up now. So okay. I forgot how many, they, but much more, much we, more. We actually will do a list of the allergens that are part of this uh, podcast. So I will put them up on our blog uh, and you'll be able to click on that in the show notes, everybody. So I will list the uh, list of common allergens uh, in, in fragrances. Yes. So, so uh, according, yeah, to, according to the FDA, so because of the Labeling Act, um, the, the names for the ingredients uh, must appear in certain documents. So number one is the inky dictionary. So um, the, the compendium that has all of these names. The second choice is the United States Pharmacopeia. And third choice is the national formulary. And then there's the food chemical codex. And then there's the United States adopted names, USAN and the USP Dictionary of Drug Names. So, so the US Pharmacopeia is USP. The right. National Formulary is NF. And you might see those listed behind an ingredient, for instance, uh, steric acid NF. Uh, the NF legally shouldn't be there, or the USP right. shouldn't be there in a cosmetic, but it needs to be there in a drug, is that right? Right. right. Like an over-the-counter drug that you don't have so a prescription in a, for. In an OTC, you have to have a drug facts label on the product. And, and it'll say drug facts on the label. It's in like say, a box, right? It's in a box, a specific box. There's there's a standard that the FDA requires. And um, the top part of the box has the active ingredients. So what is considered the drug the over-the-counter drug and uh, you have to have the percentage content of that. So for instance, in an acne product, you have to have the active ingredient. In many cases, it's salicylic acid and you have to have the percentage that's in that bottle. So if, um, so for instance, the OTCs, over-the-counter drugs have monographs specified by the FDA and they list the levels that you can use active ingredients in an over-the-counter product. So salicylic acid in a acne product can have anywhere from half a percent to 2% salicylic acid. And so whatever the percentage is in that bottle has to be listed. Typically, we do not list percentages on a label. For cosmetics. Only, for a cosmetic, it's only an yeah. OTC. And then you'll also see on an OTC label is under the active ingredients, you'll see additional ingre in in ingredients that are not considered actives, so they're the base ingredients. And depending upon what claims are being made on that, in on that product, if there are cosmetic claims, then the ingredient list has to be in descending order as on a cosmetic. If there are no cosmetic claims, it can be in alphabetical order, like a drug. Oh, interesting. So, yes. so let me ask a question here. Well, there's several things that come to mind, actually. So an over-the-counter drug, 
you'll know it's an over-the-counter drug because it'll have the drug facts Such label box. on it. On the a outer outer packaging. On the outer package. You'll know it's a cosmetic if the drug facts label is not present, right? Typically, unless okay. they're making drug claims on the product that are full, that are not allowed by the FDA. Right, but that would be a cosmetic making drug illegal drug right, claims. Right, illegal drug claims. Right, so the difference between a drug and a cosmetic, you want to share with us what that is? Okay, so um, based on the FDA definition of a cosmetic, it's meant to beautify, and a drug is meant to treat. That's the simplest way to put it. So a drug is meant to mitigate a problem, such as acne, such as um, uh, anything else that you may have issues with. Um, uh, dandruff. Sunscreens are drugs. Sunsc sunscreens yeah. are OTCs, so they're over-the-counter drugs. Right. Um, as is an acne product, an over-the-counter drug. The other thing I have an issue with, and this is me from a marketing standpoint, is, and you kind of touched on this earlier, um, there's active ingredients, which are drug ingredients and inactive ingredients, which are cosmetic ingredients. If you say active ingredient, when you're describing a product's ingredients and it's a cosmetic, you're making, you're implying an illegal drug claim. And so we like to say performance ingredients. And that's what Trina and I, and most of the other people okay. in the industry now say, the thing I don't like about over-the-counter sunscreens like moisturizers and lipsticks and foundations is that when you look at the label, it's a drug facts label because mm -hmm. the okay. sunscreen in it is going to take precedence as far as the labeling. Right. So when you say uh, active ingredients at the top of a moisturizer with sunscreen, all of your goody ingredients that are doing your performance for moisturizing and maybe, you know, fighting signs of age or lightening or brightening the skin, those are going to be under inactive ingredients. And it's very easy to get confused as a consumer. Exactly. That why am I using this product if the ingredients aren't active except for the sunscreen? And so what do yeah. you, any that's, ideas on that? That's a hard one. Um, yeah. So yes. Legally, in a drug scenario, such as a sunscreen, such as a dandruff ingredient, um, and a few others, take acne, because it's very simple, and everybody talks about acne products, uh, or sunscreen. In order to make a sunscreen or an acne claim, you have to have one of the specified active ingredients in the drug monograph. And the drug monograph is kind of like a... a when you manufacture a drug or you market a drug, you have to get permission from the FDA before right. you market it. But the monograph has been put together with all of the specific processes and ingredients and right. claims that you can make. And the labeling. And the labeling prior to going to market, if you make it according, and that monograph was okayed by the FDA. FDA. It was issued by the FDA. Right. So as long as you conform to the requirements set out in the monograph for the particular category of cosmetic drug it is, you don't have to get pre-approval because they've already right. approved it. But it's, you have to register it with the FDA. Right. And you have to do the tests and everything according right. to the monograph. Right. And monograph 
uh, covered categories are skin br lightening, not brighteners, but lighteners. Right. Well, there are no longer any lighteners that are allowed under oh, the that's monogram. Right. Because hydro, hydroquinone. Hydroquinone. Yeah. Has been removed as um, a category one ingredient. Category one meaning that it's okay. It was safe and effective. Grass, right. as we call it, generally regarded as safe and effective. And um, hydroquinone has its own issues with safety. Uh, it's still allowable under prescription, but it can't be sold under the OTC guidelines. In other words, no. you can't walk right. up to a shelf and grab a skin Grab lighter. a hydroquinone skin liner. Skin so you can't really legally make skin lightening claims because it's considered a drug now. Right. So mm. you could talk about brightening. You could talk about evenness of skin color. Um, but you can't talk about literally skin lightening. Right. So there's, and so. there's also acne preparations. There's right. the sunscreens. There's the skin protectants, right. antifungals. Mm -hmm. So all of those things are over-the-counter drugs. Um, there's no anti-aging monograph, by the no, way. No, no, it's not a, you know, Cosmeceuticals is not a valid name. The FDA does not recognize that. Okay, a, so you just category. tossed a whole new word into there. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Cosmeceuticals, is by, by market definition, not by FDA definition, because there's, as Mindy said, there's no such thing as a cosmeceutical, according to the FDA. A cosmeceutical mm -hmm. has been defined in the past as a drug making cosmetic claims, which is also known as an over the counter drug that we've been talking about, or a cosmetic making drug claims, claims. which is illegal. Right. So there's no such thing as a cosmeceutical. That's, that's a real problem. Right. There's, it's a made up name. It's a well, Dr. Kligman, Dr. Right. Like a medical <laughs> esthetician. Yes, like we, we just talked about medical estheticians. So yeah, like a medical esthetician. There's no such thing. So right. as far as the, the state licensing right. agencies are concerned. So yeah. you were going through all, you went through five different sources right. or names. references to, to pick a name. So it's my understanding that the first choice is the PCPC PC. dictionary or the Inky right. dictionary. And, and that's that's the one that you okay all the names to go into. Is that right? right. You and your group. Right. You The committee works on those names and only the ink, the committee can give a legal name to an ingredient. That and the names, FDA recognizes. That the FDI FDA would recognize. And um, the name is based on what the material is. Mm -hmm. So um, if it's a synthetic chemical, it's named by um, typical chemical nomenclature. If it's a natural ingredient, so if it's isolated from licorice roots, it will get a name based on Galabra, which is uh, the genus of licorice, it will have the genus and species and then the plant part and um, whether it's an extract or just ground up plant or whatever, it depends on, on what it is. But it's based on what the material is and how it's processed as to what the name is. 
So <laughs> let's let's take one step back. The committee is split into three subcommittees. Okay. So there's the naming a, committee. The naming committee. Okay. So <laughs> there's a group that does organic and inorganic chemicals. There's a group that does polymers and silicones. Those and then, would be polymers. They're not plastics. They're actually right. long chain molecules. Chain molecules that are synthetically made. Uh -huh. um, and then there's the group that I chair, because I actually chair this group, is the Subcommittee on Biotech, Botanicals, and Fermentation. That sounds like it's the busiest committee of all. Yes, of it is. It is yeah. the busiest group. We, we just had a meeting uh, in November, and our group had 750 oh. some odd pages of application. Oh, oh geez. God. How many ingredients was that? Oh, I, I don't, I never count the ingredients. I just oh look at goodness. how many pages I have to review. <laughs> do oh you God. ever reject, do you ever reject an ingredient application? Yes, we do. At this point, dear listener, we went off into the weeds of deep chemistry. So we've decided to spare you the pain of listening to all that. We pick back up by explaining the order in which ingredients are listed on the package. The ingredients are listed in descending order. So the, the highest level goes first and then follows down in descending order of percentage up until 1%. Under 1%, you can list the ingredients in any order that you want. The exceptions are colorants, which are at the end of the list, and preservatives, which are always under 1%. Very rarely will you see a preservative over 1%, a true preservative. Now so, that 1%, where does it usually, if if you know about the 1% rule, Mindy, and I'm, I wanna buy a skincare product, I wanna buy a moisturizer, where might I see that 1% fall? See, there's no way to know. Looking at an ingredient list, you need a cosmetic chemist to say, okay, this ingredient is typically used at greater than 1%. And you know that everything under that would be under 1%. But there's no way for a consumer looking at a list to know where that 1% break is. So here's another one that keeps coming up. And this is about fragrance. And there's all this mythology mm -hmm. that the FDA has colluded with the cosmetic industry to hide toxic toxic ingredients in fragrance and that's where you're going to find the ingredient it's a way to mislead the consumer the only thing that for fragrance especially for the european union is any allergens that are in that fragrance over a certain percentage or a certain level must be listed on the label they need to be listed separately right. from the fragrance separately. Okay. Separately from the fragrance. Okay. And in the United States, we don't have to do that, but some companies are doing it well, because they sell in Europe. marketing in Europe. Yeah. Yeah. So. So what about know. vitamins and plant extracts? Okay. Sometimes so you'll see like vitamin A or vitamin E, or yeah. sometimes it's listed as a different. Right. So ingredient. the nomenclature, the official nomenclature for vitamin E is tocopherol. Mm -hmm. And if it's modified, it would have a, an additional chemical modifier. Like, like acetate. Tocopherol acetate. Okay. Um, or ascorbyl palmitate. Ascorbyl, ascorbic acid is vitamin C. Tocopherol is vitamin E. And retinol is vitamin A or retinol palmitate, etc. They're forms of vitamin A. 
Right. You're not supposed to put that vitamin A or vitamin C or E behind the inky name in the ingredient deck. Mm. So it could be your romance copy on the package. <laughs> we call it about, cell copy or okay. information. We call it romance copy. Okay. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, so I'm a romance writer. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it could be anywhere in your romance copy, but should not appear in the ingredient list. Right. Nothing that's not an inky name should appear as part of the ingredient list. And I think that's mm -hmm. important to remember that piece of real estate, like I said at the beginning, is owned by the FDA, basically. And well, we cannot mandated is mandated by the FDA and we cannot change it no matter what we want to do. We can't put the source of an ingredient in parentheses. We can't put the uh, chemical or the common name in parentheses. If it's not part of the inky name given by the right. committee that's found in the dictionary. Right. Is there any way for consumers to see that dictionary? Um, a consumer would not have access to the dictionary. Okay. Um, that is a subscription from Personal Care Product Council. Um, they <laughs> have to buy into it in order to see it. Okay, so you'd have to, well, I think there's a, a website with a podcast called the Inky Decoder. That's yeah, I-N-C-I Decoder. It, right. But it's not, it's not official from the Personal Care Product Council. Right. But I don't know if they have, if they have listed all of the Inky names. You can find, you can search the web um, by the name on the back of the bottle and see what comes up. And in many cases, you'll find it somewhere. Okay. But it's not the official listing from the dictionary necessarily. Another way I find it is I just enter the name of the ingredient that I see with inky name, I-N-C-I, all caps, name on Google. And a lot of times it'll come up. Sometimes it comes up. Okay. So Trini, you wanted to ask something? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if a consumer sees a product that she's using or she buys a product and she sees that there's all kinds of, after listening to this, she's like, this company is making all kinds of lies. Do they just stop using the product or is there someone that they can call? They can't call the FDA. Who are they yeah. supposed to report them to? The National Advertising Council. Okay. The NAD. You part can, of the Better uh, Business Bureau. Part of the, yeah, you can you can report it. Usually, things on labels are challenged by advertising um, associations when a competitor brings it up to the advertising association. Mm -hmm. So if L'Oreal says water is lying on their label and and they can go to the NAD, the National Advertising Division, and say, look. This is a lie. Make them prove it. And NAD will may take on that case and challenge Lauder and Lauder will have to prove what they're saying. Mm -hmm. So uh, usually that's the way these kinds of things happen. Mm -hmm. There's only a couple of cases where ingredients change name. And we do update our conventions for naming based uh -huh. on scientific literature and uh, new technologies. So for instance, ceramides. Ceramides were, are popular lipids 
that are used in cosmetic products. And years ago, it was listed on the label as ceramide one, two, three, four, five, six. Mm-hmm. The name has changed. So uh, the scientific literature has changed the name of how ceramides are named. And so we have reformed based on the scientific literature to, to stay current with what the science is. And we always try to stay current with the science. So names for plants, the, the genus and species of a plant may change. Well, we wanna thank you for taking so much time to explain all of this. And I would love to have you back later this year to talk about some of the new ingredients that you're seeing in your committee and, and where you think the industry is going as far as ingredients are concerned. But we like to do takeaways at the end of our podcast. So if we could just do maybe three or four takeaways for our listeners, because they've gotten a lot of information, a lot of technical good stuff. I mean, this is me. Yeah, like what should people be looking for on an ingredient list? Well, I think one of the things is that ceramides, the product that you may use with ceramides that you've used for years the ingredient name may change for ceramides. So not to be concerned about it because the ingredient itself has not changed. And usually like for key ingredients, which are the ingredients that really give the product um, their efficacy, its efficacy on your skin, it doesn't have to be very high up on the list because some of these ingredients are very effective at low levels. For instance, peptides are really effective at exceedingly low levels. And so they will never even approach 1%, they'll never approach half a percent on the list. Don't always look at where the ingredient is on the ingredient list because it's not always representative of how much efficacy it has in your product. Right, more is not better. Right, more is not better. As a matter of fact, more can be worse. Right. So for tocopherol, vitamin E, uh the higher the tocopherol, you can actually be oxidizing instead of antioxidant. We also want to know that if an ingredient has common names in parentheses for a plant, that's okay. But for a vitamin, that's not okay. It's only okay in a plant if that is the actual inky name that was given to that ingredient. So and you we can't may not just, know that. Right. You can't just put corn on, you know, uh, if it's not part of the original given name from PCPC, it doesn't appear in parentheses. The ones that tend to be allergenic, such as nuts, peanuts, we try to put common names in parentheses so the consumer can recognize it. Peanuts, soy, wheat, I think right. were the examples. Mm-hmm. Dr. Mindy, we are so happy to have had this time with you. Thank you. And I look forward to talking with you again. Yes, that was so fascinating, Mindy. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. You gave gave such an insight to to people. So this this is awesome. And we look forward to having you back. Yes, we do. Anytime. So everybody, all right. Have a good rest of your day, no matter what time you're listening to us. Take a look at the show notes for uh, some nice references, as well as uh, links to our blog on our website. And of course, Dr. Mindy's background bio and a way to reach her if you would like to 
know more about her services in the way of her consultancy. Everybody, take care. You too. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. This podcast is so needed in the world right now. There's so much information out there that it's hard to know who to believe and if it's right for you. We are very excited to be your guides and bring you Facially Conscious. You can find info we talked about today in our show notes and on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. Please subscribe, like, and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. This helps others find us. And if you have any questions or ideas, please send us an email at info at